Section 27 of Young Folks Treasury, Volume 3, edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Section 27. Robinson Crusoe. Robinson builds a second boat, in which he is swept out to sea. By the time that Robinson had been four years on the island, all his clothes had become very ragged, and he had hardly anything that could be called a hat. Clothes he must have, for he could not go naked without getting his skin blistered by the hot sun, and he was afraid of getting a sunstroke if he went about without a hat. Now he had kept all the skins of the goats and other animals, such as hares and foxes, that he had shot, and from these, after many failures, at last he made a hat and coat of goatskin, and a pair of short trousers, all with the hair outside, so as to shoot off the wet when it rained. The hat was very tall, and came to a sharp peak on top, and it had a flap which hung down the back of his neck. Robinson also, with much trouble, made of the skins an umbrella, which he could open and shut, and if his clothes and his umbrella, and especially his hat, were not very good to look at, they were useful, and he could now go about in any weather. During the next five years nothing out of the common happened, and Robinson's time was mostly taken up with getting of food, the yearly sowing and reaping of his crops, and the curing of his raisins. But toward the end of that time he made another attempt to build a boat, and this time he made one much smaller than the first, and though it took him nearly two years to finish, in the end he got her into the sea. She was not big enough for him to try to sail in to the far-off land that he had seen, and he used her only for cruising about the shores of his own island, and for fishing. In her he fixed a little mast, on which he rigged a small sail, made from a bit of one of the old ship's sails, and, using a paddle to steer with, he found that she sailed very well. Over the stern he fixed his big umbrella, to shade him from the sun like an awning. Eager to go all round the island, one day Robinson put a lot of food on board, and, taking his gun, started on a voyage. All went well till he came to the east end of the island, where he found that a ledge of rocks, and beyond that a sandbank, stretched out to the sea for eight or nine miles. Robinson did not like the idea of venturing so far in a boat so small, and he therefore ran the boat ashore, and climbed a hill to get a good view of the rocks and shoals, before going near them. From the hill he saw that a strong current was sweeping past the sandbank, which showed just clear of the water, and on which the sea was breaking. But he thought that there was an eddy which would swing him safely round the point, without bringing him near the breakers. However, that day and the next there was a good deal of wind blowing in the direction contrary to the current, which, of course, raised a sea too big for a small boat. So Robinson stopped on shore where he was. On the third day it was calm, and he set off. But no sooner had he come abreast of the sandbank than he found himself in very deep water, with a current running like a mill-race, which carried the boat further and further away from the land, in spite of all he could do with his paddle. There was no wind, and the sail was useless. Now he gave himself up for lost, for the harder he worked, only the farther away seemed the boat to be swept. The island was soon so far off that Robinson could hardly see it, and he was quite exhausted with the hard struggle to paddle the boat against the current. He was in despair, and giving up paddling, left the boat to drift where she would. Just then a faint puff of wind touched his cheek, and Robinson hurriedly hoisted his sail. Soon a good breeze blew which carried him past a dangerous reef of rocks. Here the current seemed to divide. The part in which he now was began to swing around toward the island, and he plucked up heart again, and with his paddle did all he could to help the sail. 
Robinson felt like a man who is set free after he has been told that he must die. He could have almost wept for joy. Miles and miles he sailed, steadily getting nearer to the island, and late in the evening at last he got ashore. But on the other side of the island of the point that he had tried to round in the morning, he drew up his boat on the shore of a little cove that he found, and when he had made her fast so that the tide could not carry her away, there among the trees he lay down and slept sound, quite worn out. In the morning he again got on board, and coasted along close in shore, till he came to a bay with a little river running into it, which made a very good harbour for the boat. Here he left her, and went on foot. Soon he found that he was not far from a spot that he had once before visited, and by afternoon he arrived at the hut which he had called his country house. Robinson got over the fence by the ladder, as usual, pulling it up after him, and then he lay down to rest in the shade, for he was still very weary from the hard work of the day before. Soon he fell asleep. But what was his surprise in a little time to be awakened by a voice calling Robin? Robin Crusoe, where are you? At first he thought he was dreaming, but still the voice went on calling, "'Where are you, Robin?' Up he jumped, trembling with fright and wonder, for it was so long since he had heard any voice but his own that he fancied it must be something more than human that he now listened to. But no sooner had he risen than he saw, sitting on the tree near to him, his parrot, which must have flown all the way from Robinson's other house where it had been left. It was talking away at a great rate, very excited at again seeing its master, and Robinson hardly knew whether to be more relieved or disappointed that it was only the bird that had called him. For about a year after this Robinson kept to his own side of the island, and employed his time chiefly in working on his land, and making dishes and pots of clay. These he now had learned to burn properly. Pipes, too, he made, and they were a great comfort to him, for he managed to cure very good tobacco from the wild plants that grew around, and as he feared lest his powder might begin to run short, he thought much over ways whereby he could trap goats for food instead of shooting them. After many trials, the best plan, he decided, was to dig holes, which he covered with thin branches and leaves, on which he sprinkled earth, so that when anything heavy passed over, it must fall into the pit. By this means he caught many, and the kids he kept and tamed, so that in no great time he had quite a large herd of goats. These he kept in various small fields, round which from time to time he had put fences. End of section 27